Hi, I'm LaDonna Humphrey. And I'm Alicia Lockhart. Welcome back to Deep Dark Secrets. We're the podcast that shines a light in some really dark places. And today we're going to be traveling back in time. We'd like you to come with us back to April of 2012. We're in San Diego, California. And we're with Brittany Kilgore, who's a 22-year-old Marine wife who's getting ready for a big transition. Brittany was a blossoming young woman. She had dark hair and beautiful brown eyes. And her family describes her as confident, full of love and laughter. She was witty and hilarious and very close with her family, especially her brother and her sister, who had said they were the best of friends, her and her sister. As bright of a light as Brittany was, though, she was going through some stuff. She was actually grappling with a huge decision. She had filed for divorce from her Marine husband, Lance Corey Kilgore, and she had listed irreconcilable differences as the reason for their separation. Lance Corey Kilgore had been stationed in Afghanistan at the time of all of this happening. Brittany and Lance did share a small apartment near the base there in San Diego, and Brittany was preparing to move out. I do believe she was preparing to move to the East Coast. So it was going to be a huge life change for her. Oh, yeah, that is a huge change. Lots going on for Brittany. So on April 13th, 2012, Brittany and her friend Elizabeth had had a conversation about going out and doing something fun before she moved. And Elizabeth had suggested that maybe they go on a hornblower cruise. But they did not make any solid plans. It was just kind of a conversation in passing. So later on that day, her friend Elizabeth had stopped by a different friend's house to return a camera charger. And she stayed for a while at that house and was chatting with those other friends. She did mention that she and Brittany were thinking about going. So the friends that Elizabeth was visiting were 45-year-old U.S. Marine Sergeant Luis Perez and his partner, Dorothy Mariglino. Both Luis and Dorothy knew Brittany as well as Elizabeth, and there was an idea that was forming in their minds. So Luis shows up at Brittany's apartment a few hours later unannounced. Creepy. Yeah, I'm starting to get a bad feeling. Like my stomach dropped when you said that he showed up unannounced. You know, that's just ah, very creepy. He invites Brittany to go with him on a hornblower cruise. Let's go on a cruise. I'm sorry. I yeah. Just, that's bizarre. Mm-hmm. He tells her he has two tickets and that they're going to go to waste and that she should come. Brittany is a little caught off guard. She's actually wondering how he even knows where she lives because they're acquaintances, but they're not close friends. And she asks him like flat out. She's like, how did you even know where where to find me? Exactly. <laughs> like, what the hell is going on here? I'm sorry. I'm getting really riled up about this. No, it's it's definitely creepy. Red flags already. But he tells her that he asked around and it's a believable answer because they have mutual friends. Brittany did tell him in person, no, I'm not going to go. But a few minutes later, Brittany was sitting there and she was like, oh, dang, I need help moving. And Lewis was fresh on her mind. So she texts him and asks him if he knows of any guys who might be able to help her move. At five o'clock, 
Lewis responds to Brittany and he says, party with me tonight and you'll have five guys there in the morning. That sounds blackmailish to me. Does it to you? To me, it sounds like a cocky, persistent asshole. He's like, I invited you to hang out. If you hang out with me, then I'll get you what you want. Like, it's just sleazy. I just don't. I don't like this guy. He's he's no good. Yeah, Brittany tells him that she really needs the help moving and that she feels a little bit weird about partying with him because Lewis has a pregnant girlfriend named Dorothy. Oh, that makes it. All right. I'm just listening. I'm trying not to say the things that are on my mind. You know, I tend to just say whatever I'm thinking, but I'm telling you, Alicia, this story bothers me to the core. Yeah, Brittany's acting how most of us would act. She's like, why are you at my house? How did you find my address? What's your pregnant girlfriend going to think about that? She seems like a good woman. Brittany texts this other person that they know, Jessica. And the reason why she texts Jessica is because Jessica is in a three-person relationship with Lewis and Dorothy. So Brittany texts Jessica because she doesn't have Dorothy's phone number. And she says, Lewis is asking me here, is this really going to be okay with Dorothy? And Jessica says, yeah, it'll be fine with her, but here's her phone number if you want to ask her. Brittany goes ahead and calls Dorothy. They talk it out on the phone. And Dorothy actually was really friendly. She explained that she's just super pregnant and doesn't want to go on the cruise and that she thinks she's going to get seasick and that the tickets really are just going to go to waste and that Lewis was trying to do something nice because he had heard that Brittany wanted to go. So Dorothy's like, Brittany, just go. Basically, you have my blessing. Nothing weird is going on. Just go ahead and use the tickets. Okay. It's still a very strange situation, but all right. I mean, I personally would have said no, but that's just me, but okay. Yeah. So Brittany's like, all right, maybe this isn't weird. Like I thought, maybe it's not shady. She only had a very short amount of time left in San Diego. So she decided to take him up on the offer. And I think still it was a big factor that she was getting some moving help out of this. Yeah, I think so too. I think that that clouded maybe her decision process. You know what I mean? You were under stress. It might sound a little bit fun. It still seems a little bit creepy, but I need this help over here. I mean, I can see being young and overwhelmed with all the things. Yeah. So she texts Lewis back. She's like, okay, I'm in. And he's like, cool. I'll come pick you up around 7.30 p.m. But what Brittany didn't know is that the Hornblower cruise was actually scheduled to leave dock at 7 p.m. Lewis did not actually have any purchase tickets. Why was Lewis going to pick her up 30 minutes past the time when the boat left? Clearly, he had other plans for Brittany. Yeah, that's really, really sad and frightening. So within 13 minutes of Lewis picking Brittany up at 7.30... Brittany sends out a chilling one-word text message to her friend Tal. And Tal had actually been at the apartment when Lewis was there. And so she knew that Brittany was going on a cruise. A few minutes after Brittany leaves, she gets this message and it just says, help. Oh, gosh. I would just be scared to death if I received something like that from one of my friends, Alicia. If you sent me a text that said, help. Well, one, I would know a fetisher got you and I'd be coming for you, but I'd be terrified, terrified for you. Tal doesn't take it lightly. She's trying to get a hold of Brittany. 
She tries, I think, like three times, and then she gets a response finally. She gets a text back from Brittany that says, yes, I love this party. Okay, so that's clearly suspicious. Tal was like, this is suspicious. That doesn't even seem like something Brittany would say. So she demanded that Brittany call her so that she could hear her voice. This is a good friend here. Yeah, that was a smart decision. That's what I would do. That's what you would do. I want to hear you say that you're okay. I don't want to do this back and forth because she could be texting with anybody for that matter. Yeah, but she doesn't get a call back. Tal gets another text message that says, in a few hot guys. And Tal's not having it. She's like, no, you call me immediately. So Brittany's phone calls Tal really short calls. It's like basically calling and hanging up. No, no speaking. Tal texts Brittany and says, I can't hear you. And Brittany writes, well, quote unquote, Brittany, Brittany's phone will say, writes back saying, it's okay. The music's too loud. Oh, wow. So this is the last that anyone hears from Brittany, sadly. And it's suspicious AF. It is. It makes me sad. It really does. So on April 14th, Brittany was reported missing. And police were told that Lewis was the last person to see Brittany. And of course, he was interviewed. I mean, he was the last person with her. Of course, that's the person that's going to be interrogated first. He claimed, good old Lewis claimed, that he had dropped Brittany off downtown and that something must have happened to her after they parted ways. Of course, you know, he's deflecting here. He doesn't want anybody looking at him. And that's when Brittany's phone was later found. It was found downtown, but there was no trace of her. So Lewis's car was searched by authorities, and he was then arrested, and he was held because he had weapons in his car. This Mm -hmm. is not a good guy. Then it just gets so much worse. A few days later, Brittany's nude body was found. It's just, it's heartbreaking. She had been dumped at Lake Skinner in Riverside County. Brittany had a stun gun marking on her face. Her legs were bruised, her wrists had been slit, and she had been strangled with a ligature. And then, on top of all of that, Brittany's body had been doused in bleach. Clearly, somebody's trying to get rid of all of the DNA evidence. Mm -hmm. So the police are horrified, and they know they've got to figure out who has tortured and murdered Brittany. And with Lewis being the last person to see her alive, They knew they had to dig deeply into his personal life. I mean, he becomes a person of interest, obviously. He was the last person with her. And so in this investigation, they soon discover that he had this very interesting romantic situation. Lewis and his 36-year-old girlfriend, Dorothy, were also, you mentioned earlier, dating a woman named Jessica. She was 25 years old, and the three of them together were engaged in BDSM and a slavery relationship. And Lewis was the master. Dorothy was the mistress, and Jessica was a slave. Lewis was a dominant and a sadist. He enjoyed inflicting pain onto other people. He lived on his own, but he liked to visit his girlfriends frequently. Dorothy had her own home in Fallbrook, and Jessica actually lived with her. Dorothy was submissive to Lewis, but a master to Jessica. It's a little bit complicated here, so everybody, I hope they're tracking with me. Jessica had previous relations where she had been dominant, But in this relationship, she was submissive and she admitted that she was a masochist, which means that she enjoyed, she liked it, she loved it, having pain inflicted upon her. 
she had willingly entered into a slave contract with her two lovers. I just can't imagine that. Hello, let me have a contract with you to be your slave. That's just not my personality. I just have a hard time wrapping my head around that. Yeah, you are not a submissive, LaDonna Humphrey. No, no, I'm not. I would say I am furthest thing from that. So that does make it difficult for me to relate to that. So thank you, everybody, for bearing with me as I'm trying to dig into the details here. So. Yeah, just so you know, LaDonna Humphrey would be a master, not a slave. That's right. All right. So Dorothy, and I just find this fascinating, she had even gone as far as to create a house manual outlined the rules of their three-person relationship. So there was a slave contract and a slave checklist. And Jessica was always to wear, get this, a dog collar. I just, I don't understand. It's not my personality. So I'm just like amazed that this is actually going on. It's just very interesting. But there is even more than meets the eye, though, because Jessica was a sadist as well. Jessica is very interesting. I believe that what she is called is a switch because depending on the situation, she could be submissive or dominant. She likes to receive pain. She likes to give pain. In this relationship, though, she had chosen this role of being a submissive slave to this couple. So both Dorothy and Jessica were avid members, get this, of death fetish fantasy forums. And they love to write erotic stories about their fantasies. So Dorothy's erotic fiction stories centered on themes of abduction and murder. I mean, that's dark. And in one of Dorothy's stories, she wrote about abducting three generations of women. Each one prescribed a method of death and subjected to uh, like sexual torture, just torture and forced suicide. I mean, this is starting to kind of like ring a bell of suspicion in my mind because of the way Brittany's body was found. I want to stop you here too because I feel like we've had this question, especially in some recent interviews, where people are asking us, well, how is death fetish different than other kinks? How is it different than a BDSM lifestyle? And so as you're describing all of this, to me, that's where the line is right there. These Ladies, yeah, they have the whole three-person relationship. They have a slave contract. All of that is pretty typical in a fetish community. It doesn't really shock me. But the line is crossed to me when people are starting to incorporate murder and non-consensual things in their fantasizing. So as soon as you started talking about Dorothy's story writing and what was in it, I was like, oh, there we go. We crossed the line. Dorothy's erotic fiction was even darker. She also wrote about slitting a woman's throat while the woman had sex with Lewis. So the lines of fantasy and reality were clearly blurred here. And on top of that, Jessica had also written a snatch and grab fantasy and posted it online. And that story involved abduction, subduing a victim with a stun gun, and taking them to a private location to torture, kill, and dismember the victim and seeing her, quote unquote, happy blood. She also wrote about burning the evidence, bleaching the evidence, and disposing of the body. Does that sound familiar to you? 
it really should. It's freaky to me that they're both, both Dorothy and Jessica, are writing these disgusting erotic stories and posting them in the death fetish forums. It almost makes me speechless because it's like, I just want to yell out like, see, see what I'm talking about? See? But everybody in these forums is like, oh, these are all just harmless fantasies. It makes me so angry. It's like, I hope that some of the fetishers are listening. Can you not understand where we're coming from? I feel like we represent the general population and we're saying this is alarming. People are writing these super, super detailed stories about what they want to do, and some of them are going out and doing it. But, and I have to add this here, the fetishers, by and large, do not want to admit that people are actually going out and committing these murders. What they're concerned about, and I think you would agree, they're more concerned about justifying their love for this justifying their need to see a woman murdered to be able to be sexually gratified. They are more worried about us understanding the psychology of their disgusting death fetish than they are to be concerned about real women dying because of this fetish. And so I just don't think they hear us. And I don't think they care because they're so caught up in this need to have people understand why they love it so much that I think they've lost sight of the fact that real live people are being killed because of this disgusting fetish. Brittany Kilgore was murdered by people in the death fetish community, and she's not the only one. We have case after case after case, and these death fetish predators, they go in the forums and they make fun of every last thing about us, everything about the podcast. So we know they're listening, but they don't ever talk about what we're actually saying. And I just I don't understand why this can't sink in for them. They don't want it to, Alicia. They have to justify their need for this particular fetish for death fetish so i just think that they don't want to well britney kilgore was last seen alive with the boyfriend of two death fetish forum members who wrote stories pretty much identical to how her murder happened and i think that's compelling and to just dive back into that little love triangle i want to give the listeners a good idea of what was going on there there was definitely a little bit of trouble in the love triangle lewis wasn't actually being not respectful of Jessica as a slave. It is said that Jessica was using her safe word in some sexual situations and that it was being disregarded and that Lewis was taking their sessions too far sometimes. In addition to that huge red flag, Dorothy was having a lot of issues with jealousy. I don't think she was jealous about Jessica, but she was convinced that Lewis was going to cheat on her and that he was going to go out and find a new lover. Well, I mean, I think that Lewis made it pretty clear that he wasn't very trustworthy. So that would be, I think, a very easy assumption to make that he would be capable of doing those things. Jessica wasn't the only girlfriend that they had ever had. So I think Dorothy had been with Lewis for a long while and he kept bringing new women into the connection. So I guess her and Jessica had been going back and forth in text messages, and it was revealed that Dorothy and Jessica had actually had some 
interesting conversations about Brittany Kilgore. They had been talking about Brittany basically being a threat because they were worried about Lewis liking her. And they referred to Brittany as the herpes and the disease in conversations, like private text conversations with each other. And they even called her that to their mutual friend, Elizabeth. That's awful. That's absolutely terrible. It is. So these two women were saying these bitchy things about Brittany because they thought she was a threat to the harmony of their little love triangle. In one of the text exchanges, Dorothy even offers to get rid of Brittany. Oh, that is damning. It is. And so when Lewis's car was searched by the police, they did find rope, floggers, a taser, a stun baton, a riding crop, and a cane. And the stun baton had both Lewis and Brittany's DNA on it. Oh, that's awful. Poor Brittany. So it's becoming more and more clear what's going on here. There's also a pair of gloves in the car, and there was some evidence to suggest that Brittany had been a captive in a BDSM situation that had taken place before her murder. So that's where all this evidence in the car is leading them. The police have now pulled phone records, and they've researched Lewis and his relationship, and so they're getting a, a full picture here. They also wound up searching Dorothy's truck as well. And they found that truck on April 17th at a hotel in a parking lot near the San Diego airport. So this reminds me of like, are they going on the run here? They're not at home. Yeah, they're definitely doing something that's suspicious. So they forcibly open the door of the room that was booked under Dorothy's name. And what they find in there is actually Jessica. And she is bleeding at the neck and half naked after a suicide attempt. Oh, gosh. And in the room, there were three copies of a seven-page handwritten confession letter by Jessica with a sign above it that said, Pigs, read this. And so they did a handwriting analysis. They did confirm that Jessica was the author of the letter. So there's no shenanigans going on here. Jessica wrote this long letter. It was basically a confession letter. Jessica had... And I didn't want to reveal this earlier, but this letter is actually what led the police to find... Britney's body. They hadn't found it before, but this letter led them to it. And so in the confession letter, Jessica claimed that she had restrained, tortured, and killed Britney herself to keep Britney from coming between Lewis and Dorothy. Oh my goodness. So the letter actually describes Britney's postmortem injuries, including ligature marks around her neck and wrists, a taser mark near her neck, bruising and mutilation marks and a deep cut with a power saw that went down to the bone in Brittany's knee. Oh, that's really awful. In the letter, Jessica uses derogatory language to describe Brittany. She says she came between Lewis and Dorothy and that she's taking complete responsibility for Brittany's death. And she is angrily writing to the police because it's a letter for them. She's telling them that they arrested the wrong person. So she's enraged that Lewis is in jail and she's telling them that she did this and that she did it alone. She claims that she slammed Brittany down into the stairs, restrained her, subdued her with a taser, and wrapped rope around her neck, applied the pressure, 
and then dumped the body at Lake Skinner on her own. And that's an angry, angry murder. And all of those things, that's just horrific. You can tell someone who is absolutely angry, jealous, bent on revenge. But the thing about this, though, is that the evidence doesn't really suggest that this was all done by Jessica. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that Lewis was involved and that has to bring Dorothy into question too. It's like if she, if Jessica did this alone, then why did Lewis go pick her up? It's a complicated case here. So DNA evidence implicated Lewis. So they were starting to feel that the letter was maybe an angle, like an act of self-sacrifice from Jessica, the slave so that she could spare all three of them from being charged with Brittany's murder. I guess she was thinking that she would already be dead by the time they found the letter, since she had attempted suicide. Do you think that was the motive there, so she wouldn't have to deal with it? She would already be dead? Well, yeah, she tried to kill herself, so I think she was living in a fantasy world where she thought, oh, I'll just kill myself so I don't have to go to jail. And then my letter will make it so that Lewis and Dorothy can just live out their lives peacefully. Yeah, that's messed up. But the evidence that was available to police was, as you mentioned, it was overwhelming and damning, not just to Jessica, but to all three parties. So her letter, you know, didn't do much good. The text messages and the witness testimony, it connected Dorothy to Lewis. And it connected her involvement in the plot of the kidnapping and the cruise. So they knew that she was involved. So Jessica's little stunt of writing this letter was all for nothing. Because there was just too much there that proved that all three of them were into it and wanted yeah. to be a part of this murder. You can't just say, oh, I did this all alone when Lewis was the one who lied about the cruise and went and picked her up. Dorothy talked her into going. They're all guilty as sin. And Lewis's cell phone records also indicated that he had lied about where he was. Shocker. I mean, he's lied about everything. But he called and said he was home when he was near downtown. And it just seemed like he did this series of events to try to cover up his crime. I don't think he was very bright, but he did try to cover up his crime. And the neighbors got involved and gave information about where his car had been. Lewis had also texted a friend the day before about how he was about to inflict pain on a woman he really didn't like. That's what I don't understand. And I'm sure it's not just fetishers, but I always say the fetishers are so dumb before they commit a murder. If you're going to kill somebody, why would you text a mutual friend or a friend before and say, hey, I'm getting ready to inflict pain on somebody. I mean, they're going to come forward with those text messages. I feel like those are things you would think about before committing a crime. But no, they did not. No, clearly. And we see this time and time again with the fetishers. But on top of all that, in addition, there was also footage that surfaced of Lewis beating a woman with various tools as the unidentified woman begged for him to stop. He doesn't stop, and she is beaten to the point of unconsciousness. So that seems beyond a typical BDSM session. That's somebody filled with rage with the intent of potential murder, don't you think? I do. I can't imagine that woman went into that session saying, keep going no matter what I say and make sure that I'm unconscious at the end of it. I don't yeah, think so. I don't think so either. At trial, Lewis admitted using Brittany's cell phone to call her friends. He said he was trying to make it appear as if she had been alive. Well, you didn't do a very good job with that either, buddy. I mean, just 
<laughs> turn after turn after turn, Lewis failed. And I'm glad he did because he got caught, but he just was so inept at trying to keep this crime a secret. And in 2015, a jury agreed with that and they convicted Lewis, Dorothy, and Jessica of first degree murder, kidnapping, torture and attempted sexual battery by restraint all three were sentenced to life in prison without parole thank goodness and guess what all three death fetish predators they appealed because they felt that the information about their bdsm fantasies and lifestyle should not have been included in the trial i guess they thought that it made them look bad they were trying to say it wasn't relevant to the case but i feel like it was very relevant well exactly and that's why they didn't win their appeals because all of the evidence was relevant and shockingly there were a lot of fantasy writings that weren't even included in the case about their desire to watch people's lives slip away and other disgusting murderous statements so some of the things that could have really helped in their conviction so people could see their character wasn't even included but they were more concerned about their bdsm fantasy and lifestyle i think this is an important place for us to kind of add here because alicia and i are always accused of kink shaming really to kind of point out how the bdsm lifestyle is actually very different than what we're talking about here with lewis dorothy and jessica these were violent death fetish predators these were people who were fantasizing about murdering somebody and torturing someone. This goes well beyond this consensual lifestyle that you might think of when somebody mentions BDSM. Yeah, I would say what they were doing with each other was pretty typical of a BDSM lifestyle. But what they were writing about and posting on the forums and what they eventually did to Brittany, that is not normal to want to do those things to somebody who has no interest in even having a sexual play session with them. Yeah, there's a very big difference between a BDSM lifestyle where it's consensual and this lifestyle idea of I'm going to go and fantasize about these horrific murders and then maybe potentially start fantasizing about someone I really know and wanting to kill them. Those are two very different scenarios. I hate how the people in the death fetish forums, they think of themselves as just normal kinksters, and they really aren't. No, wanting to murder somebody is not a normal kink. I'm sorry. I don't care what they say, but this is probably a good place for us to close for today. We've covered a lot of ground. This is a really, really horrific story. I'm so, so sad for Brittany's family. I'm very glad that justice was served, but I'm also grateful for the listeners for listening in, taking the time to hear about the story, because we think it's important to keep showing examples of how exposure to death fetish content can and will result into escalation. This is a prime example. So if you've been sickened by this information, please, please, please take a moment, go to our website, deepdarksecretspodcast.com. On the menu bar, please click on the advocacy link, scroll down the page and click on our petition and sign it. Your name on that petition helps Alicia and I in our fight to put some teeth into federal obscenity laws. So please consider joining us. We need your help. We do. And we appreciate everybody who has signed the petition already and everyone who's listening today and is going to head over and, and sign it. It's a really quick process. And we thank each and every one of you. And we will continue to report on all these death fetish related cases. So we'll see you next Monday.
Stay safe out there, everyone. And remember, keep your lights on. For exclusive content from this episode and all other episodes, head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash deep dark secrets. Sign up and you'll be able to see some visuals that accompany each episode.